for our eternal life. Nothing more. All right. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 18, that's where we'll be today. Luke 18. The surrender of faith. All right, just a couple things to note here before we dig into the text. We are rejoicing with Debbie. She's been going through these cancer treatments, going to Iowa City. Her and, her and Dan have been going up every weekday for five weeks, right? And just this last, this Friday, she rang the bell, and the radiation treatments are complete. So praise the Lord, that phase of the treatment is done. And we'll continue to pray for God's blessing on, that, on the treatment, and the cancer would be removed. Uh, but that's a, that's a major milestone there. And as you're also aware, Carol Schwab passed into glory on, Friday, on, on, Thursday, on Thursday. And she used to be a member here. She was 83, I believe. And she, she passed away. The funeral will actually be this coming Saturday. It will be this Saturday at the, at the vegan funeral home in Keokuk. And... Uh, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send out the information here later once the ob- ob- obituary comes out. But she's she's no longer suffering. She had Parkinson's and just struggled with some things. But she's she's with her Savior, so we can thank the Lord for that. But the surrender of faith. Let's go, let's go ahead and just pray right now. Ask for the Lord's blessing before we dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we praise your name today. We thank you for the many blessings we enjoy. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, and the, the victory of faith. We can, we can walk uh, with him each day and, and experience blessing and your grace along the way. And Lord, we, we think today of the family of Carol as she has passed away. And she knew you as Savior, so we rejoice in that and that she's, she's in heaven today. And we just pray you'd comfort the family uh, in this time of loss. Lord, we do continue to pray for Debbie with uh, the cancer treatment. We thank you that the first stage has been completed here. And we just pray for your continued blessing. Pray for the cancer to be completely removed. And and we we just trust you to work there. And Lord, as we look today into your word, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that we can open its pages and know that it is the truth. It is the authority that we, we must live by. We can trust its words to be accurate and, and without error. And we just, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would, would, work, would work amongst us, would work through us and in us, and that we would understand your truth. Lord, as we look today at salvation, Yet, yet again here, this, this man who comes to Christ wanting to be saved. And we just pray that you would help us to understand what Christ said. Lord, I pray today if there's anybody who is here who doesn't know for sure that they're saved. Lord, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. That they would be willing to humble themselves and to come to Christ. To, to be willing to give up everything and come to the Savior and ask Him to save their souls. Lord, we just, we just pray for your blessing. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here in Luke 18, this is quite a passage. Verses 18 to 30, the rich ruler. This, we, we see a man here who, per, perhaps the only man in Scripture, the only person in Scripture, I think, who came to Jesus wanting to be saved, and he left very sad. He left without Christ. What a tragedy. Uh, he was a surefire prospect spiritually. He was a, the perfect seeker. He, no pre-evangelism was necessary. He was ready. He was eager. He understood he needed eternal life. He had so many things working in his favor, this man. Uh, he was moral. He was religious. He was honest. He was sincere. He would have probably qualified for membership in most churches, this, this man. Uh, but he, he, he came to the right person, asked the right question, received the right answer, yet he went away without Christ. And the reason was because he didn't love Christ most of all. There was something he loved more than Christ. There was something he loved more than God. Something he loved more than eternal life itself. And that was his wealth. That was his money, as we'll see as we read the text here in a bit. Um, his priorities were wrong. And if our priorities are wrong, if we put something before God in our lives that, you know, other than him, our, our priorities are wrong. And we need to examine our hearts as to whether or not we're in the faith. Uh, but here, uh, here we see quite a, quite a situation Dr. Warren Wearsby says that his problem was dishonesty. He was dishonest with God. He was dishonest with himself. Um, and ultimately, I think he refused to surrender to God. He refused to surrender his life to God, which is the essence of faith. We, we surrender our lives, ourselves, everything to his lordship. And, and we come to him in saving faith. You know, we yield to him. Say, I, I cannot save myself. Please save me. And we're willing to obey him. So, here we're at the end of his ministry here. Christ, Christ's ministry was for three years. And here, in this part of Luke, he's within days, maybe just a week or two of the end of his ministry. And as we'll see later on in the text in chapter 19 is the triumphal entry, what we look at on Palm Sunday. But that's, that's the beginning of that final week when he would die. Uh, but leading up to that here, the, as I mentioned last week, there's five messages of faith from different perspectives and aspects of faith. And last week we looked at, you know, back at 18, uh, verses 15 to 17, the simplicity of faith to to come to Christ is a, a very basic, simple thing. We need to have the faith of a child. We, we often overthink it, and it's just so simple. And we looked at several examples in Scripture how people just simply believed and were born again. And you know, that can be true for you today. Uh, you know, today we look at the surrender. You know, what, Christ paid it all. 
Christ purchased our salvation, but we have to, we have to believe, but we also have to be willing to give up everything. We need to be willing to surrender everything. Uh, next week we look at the life of faith, and then there's the reach of faith, and even the work of faith. So, some, some good things here in Luke. Uh, but let's, let's go ahead and read this text, starting in Luke 18. Uh, 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you, dis- you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, uh, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to, to come eternal life. Wow, there's a lot in this passage. What a terrific passage of scripture. He, he starts out there, verse 18, with perhaps the greatest question that has ever been asked. No more important question can ever be asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I have to do to be saved? There, there's no more important question. Because it, the answer to that de- determines your, your destiny for all time, for, for eternity. And here, he comes to the right person. He comes to Christ himself. What must I do? Uh, so, what, here, here the, the outline this morning. What must I be willing to surrender to have eternal life? The first thing here we see in verse 18 is my works. We must be willing to surrender our works. You know, here he, he begins here. Well, it says in verse 18, a ruler a ruler asked him. This man who came to Christ was a ruler. He was a, he was a very spiritual person, as we can see by his own testimony. He thought he was very moral. He thought he was perfect, really, without sin. But he, he may have been a leader of a synagogue. He may have, you know, the Jewish place of worship. And he claimed to obey the law. And he says, what must I do? And think with me of that, that word, do. What must I do? 
This is the essence of religion. Doing things to, to earn salvation. What must I do? Thinking we can do enough to, to please God, to, to impress God. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. We cannot do enough. We, we can't do anything to help ourselves. He wanted this one good deed. He wanted to know what the... He wanted to know the secret. What's this one more thing I can do to, to push me over the top so then I, I have eternal life? What's the one thing? And, you know, the reality is, you know, from, from, from our perspective here in this life, we believe anything worthwhile has to be earned. You know, or you have to be really, really, really lucky. <laughs> Are born into the right family, uh, but you know, you just think about life. I mean, whether it's a degree from college or whether it's having a really good job or finding a wonderful spouse or this, or that. it takes work and effort and you know, to get to that point. And we use that same line of re uh, reasoning when it comes to faith. We think something as good as eternal life has to be worked for. We have to earn it. It's, it seems too good to be true for it to be a gift, as Romans 6.23 tells us. It's the gift of God. Uh, it just doesn't seem right. And here, you know, it, the, the irony just stands out to, to me here is, here this man seeking salvation, he is talking to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and he's saying, what must I do to inherit et et eternal life? When he's looking Christ in the eye, the one who in just days would die for him and do it all. He, he would purchase this man's salvation. He would, he would do everything necessary for his salvation and, and for ours, for yours and mine. Um, his, his works, we can't earn salvation. You know, the Bible tells us, we are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 is very clear in that regard. We are spiritually dead before we come to Christ. What, 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 what does a dead person do? Uh, a physically dead person doesn't do anything. Ne neither does a spiritually dead person. I mean, we, we have to be given the gift of faith and regenerated and, and be willing to come to Christ. Uh, we're spiritually dead. We're enemies. Of, of God. We are not good enough. Um, it's, it's perplexing his question here. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? You know, can, can somebody do something to receive an inheritance? No. <laughs> no. It's based on your birth. In, inheritance is based on the family you are born into. And here he thinks he can earn an, an, an inheritance. He can do something to, to change his destination, his, his destiny. It's such a silly question. What, what can I do to inherit et eternal life? And so you know, that, that in, in and of itself should, should tell us we cannot earn salvation. It's inherited. It, it's something given to us. We, we cannot earn it. He says there in verse 19, Why do you call me good? Christ answers him, Why do you call me good? 
There's no one good except God alone. If you're like me, when you read that phrase, you think of Gene. Gene Gene says that a a lot. Sometimes we'll greet each other before a service or here and there. He'll say, how how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And Gene says, no, there's no one good but God. (laughs) That's good. That's right. But here Christ says, this is a very perplexing verse. In fact, it's been twisted by false teachers. It's when they try to deny the deity of Christ, that Christ is not God. They use this verse. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Yeah, but the focus, Christ as he's dealing with this man who wants to be saved, Christ is focused on, on this man and on his soul. And yes, he, he could have easily answered, I am God, I am good. But that was not the debate right here. It was, this man was trying to define goodness. He was trying to define, you know, the perfect goodness that gets a person to heaven. And he was, Christ was asking questions here to get down to the heart of the issue. What is, what what level of goodness is necessary to be saved? And, you know, like I said, false teachers take this verse, they cherry-pick this verse out of context and say, well, see, God said he, Christ said he's not God. <laughs> Ignoring all the other times when he claims to be God. Uh, but, beside the point. But here, Christ shows him his need. And before anybody can be saved, they have to see their need. They have to know that they are lost. You can't be saved until you know that you are lost. And you're, you're in desperate need of being saved. And look where he takes him. In verse 20, he takes him to the, to the Decalogue, the moral law, the, the Ten Commandments. And you know, we, we know those well, given to Moses there on Mount Sinai, back in Exodus. The Ten Commandments. And the top ten list of, 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 the, of the law. The top ten, the summary of what God expects. And really, the Ten Commandments, if you think about it, there's the two tablets that Moses, you know, he prepared the tablets, and God wrote on the tablets in those 40 days. But on the first tablet was, you know, it was the first four commands that dealt with, with our relationship to God. You know, you should not have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And honor the Sabbath day. All those things deal with your relationship with God. But then the, the second tablet is the, the last six, which, which deal with relationships. We deal with how we, how we deal with one another. Um, you, know, you should not murder, you should not lie, don't covet, all, 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 all these things. Uh, so here, what, what does he say? Christ says, you know the commandments. You should not commit adultery, you should not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So, you think of the two tablets, he, he is pointing to the second one, the, the tablet of the, you know, the, you know, how, how we relate to one another. And he, out of those six on that tablet, he's, he lists five of them here. Uh, in order, they're number seven, six, eight, nine, and five. But he, he lists them here now. Christ leaves out, obviously, the first four, 
but he also leaves out the tenth one, the final one, thou shalt not covet. And, you know, coveting is wanting what somebody else has and you don't have. Uh, it, could be, it could be anything that somebody else has that, that you just really would rather have for, 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 for yourself. Why doesn't Christ mention that one? Well, I, I think the reason is because this man, as we'll see later in the text, was so extremely wealthy, he didn't want for anything. I mean, he had it all. I don't think coveting was ever a temptation for, for, for him. I mean, he just had it all. He, he was extremely rich, in love with his, his wealth. And so, but here, here Christ shows him with, with the adultery, with, with murder and stealing and, and lying, and all these things, not honoring father and mother. These things, surely, if the man would have honestly looked at his life, he would have said, yeah, most of the time, <laughs> I do okay. But uh, I think all of us, if we examined our hearts, how, how do we measure up? You know, James tells us in James, I think it's 2, James chapter 2, if you fail in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. If you even at one point in your life break any of the commands, you're guilty of, it, of the whole thing. But here, it's just amazing what he says in verse 21. Looking at Christ who is the judge, who is the savior of the world, he's, he says, all these I have kept from my youth. How could he in his right mind say that? I mean, I, I think he believed it. All these I have kept. I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm sinless. Wow. Well, right away he had just violated the ninth one, bearing false witness. He lied. And then he was proud. <laughs> uh, now that's not one of the commands, but it is definitely a sin. Uh, his pride and his motives and his thoughts were wrong. I mean, all sorts of things. He was obviously a sinner in, in need of salvation, but he didn't see that he was, he was in need for, for Christ. Um, if we think about it, there are so many people who feel the same way as this man. You know, we, we know people, and perhaps you feel this way, about yourself. When you examine your heart, you say, well, I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty good. You may not admit to being perfect like this man, but you may say, well, when, when, when I get to heaven and I see Christ, I've done more good in my life than bad, so I'll, I'll be okay. And most people justify themselves and say, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, and you can always find somebody to compare yourself with and say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so or such-and-such. And that's not the standard. The standard is the perfection of Jesus Christ. And we all fall short. We all fall short. We're all guilty before God. But here, I, I wonder why in the, in the conversation here, Christ, after hearing this, this lie, this, this lie that the man tells, I've kept all these from my youth. Why he didn't say, no, you haven't. <laughs> you liar. 
I know better than that. No, he doesn't rebuke them. He, he, he doesn't call him out. Uh, but he, he tells him what he, he still lacks. As if what he's saying is true, but it really isn't because we're all sinners. Um, there's, there's still something greater. But here, we have to be willing to surrender our works, our desire to earn salvation. Now, when we talk about good works... You know, we're talking about what so many people you say, you know, I'm, I go to church, I, I give money in the offering, I pray, I read my Bible, I help the poor. You know, all, all these things that try to, we try to please God. And those things aren't bad. You know, the question is your motivation. If your motivation in doing those things is to please God, or to, to try to up appease God and earn salvation, then those things are bad. But if it's because you've been saved and you just naturally want to live for him, then, then they're good. And that's, that's the point here. So the first thing, we, we need to be willing to surrender our works. The second thing is my wealth. We, we should be, be willing to surrender my wealth. In verses 22 to 25, here he says, one thing you still lack. And here Christ draws on his omniscience. His, Christ is all-knowing. And in his humanity, when, when he was on earth, he, I think he set aside the use of a lot of his attributes, but especially with his omniscience, at times he, he tapped into it. And here he knows this man. He knows, he, he can see into his heart, and he knows what it is, what, what, what the hindrance is for this man. What is keeping him from Christ? What's the one thing? What's the major issue? And for this man, it was his money. It was his wealth. Um, one thing you still lack. He loved money more than God. He loved money more than eternal life. He loved money more than God. Uh, you, know, you, you may look at this and say, well, how silly. How can you love money more than, than God? Yet, if you honestly look at your life, maybe there's something else in your life that you love more than God himself. Uh, may, may, maybe it is money, maybe it's family, maybe it's a job, maybe it's entertainment or social media or a hobby or reading video games, drugs, alcohol, I mean, leisure, all, all these things that could come before God and become an idol. What is it? For, for, for this man, it's his wealth. And you know, I, I, th I think for many people, wealth is the thing. Prosperity, living well, is, is a hindrance. Um, now, here he says there, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, is Christ saying here that this is part of salvation, is you have to sell everything, and you, you have to give everything you have to the poor? No, this is just a principle. Uh, this, we, we have to be willing to surrender what is holding us back. 
And for this man, Christ knew that unless he surrendered and gave up his wealth, he, he would never come to the point in his life where he saw he had a need. But for you, it may be something else. It, it, it may be giving up, uh, you know, getting, getting rid of a smartphone. It might be changing jobs. Uh, something. Uh, what, what is it that you know, keeps you from seeing your desperate need? Um, very sad verse here, though, verse 23. Very tragic verse. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He was sad. In that, in the, the parallel passage in Mark 10, <coughs> verse 22, says he, he went away. And those are three of the saddest words in Scripture. He went away. Here he came to Christ wanting to be saved, yet when he saw how much it was going to cost him, he was sad and he, he went away. Where did he go to? Well, ultimately, if he never, if he never turned to Christ the rest of his life, he, he went away to, to hell, to, to eternal punishment. It's, been, you know, it's true that that one leak can sink a ship. One leak is enough to sink a mighty ship. One sin, one, one thing in your life may be enough to keep you from the kingdom of God. One thing. That's, that's quite a concept, isn't it? I mean, here this man, this man loved God, but he loved his money more. Um, All right. But he, he went away. Look at 24 here. Jesus, seeing he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's very difficult for the wealthy and the prosperous to, to come to the kingdom of God. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it difficult for a wealthy person to be saved? I mean, they're just as human as the poor people, right? <laughs> um, well, several things I, I thought of as I was c considering this here. Um, wealthy people, those with, with money, are, are tempted to love this world. They have all, you know, they can, they can buy anything. Tempted with love of this world. Tempted with pride. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accumulated. Self-indulgence. Boy, if you can just have anything and everything, you, you can live it up. They have a false sense of security. How, hey, look at, look at what I've done here in this man. He... Earlier in the passage, look at me, I, have, I perfectly keep the law when he's lying to himself, but really his love of wealth made that possible. Um, the, uh, 
I want, I want you to keep your place here, Luke, but turn over, if you would, to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the Beatitudes. Jesus gives the Beatitudes. And in verse 2, Matthew 5, 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them. And look at this first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This first, the first one is so, is so important. The poor in spirit. To be saved, to, to be able to go to the kingdom of heaven, we, you have to be poor in spirit. You have to be desperate and see that you have a need. And that definitely is, is very difficult for those who are wealthy. It's difficult to be poor in spirit. Um, they, don't, they don't feel a need for God. They, don't, they trust in their money. And one, one other thing I jotted down here is that the wealthy, they, they surround themselves, it seems, with people who don't want to tell them when, when, when they're wrong. Uh, and what they, what they need to hear. So, Jesus gives a solution here. Uh, he gives a solution. Here he says it's very difficult for the wealthy to be saved. But he says, look, look well, back in 22 there, give to the poor. Give to the poor. If you have wealth, if you have means, give it to those who need it more than you. God has, has blessed you so you can bless others. That's the point. And by doing that, obviously your wealth will decrease and your trust in God will increase. I think that's the point. Um, we should use wealth to help others. Um, it's not an easy thing to say because we, we love to have money. But here, here Christ says that's really, really this man's major problem. So... Ephesians 4, 28 says, uh, you know, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor. What, what, why do we work? Well, Paul says, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 28 there, if you work and have money, I mean, obviously part of that is you need it for yourself, for your needs, but then give the rest to those who have needs. Give to anyone who has need. First Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. I mean, Paul said to Timothy, that's a temptation. If you have riches... You set your hope on riches, not at God. Uh, and then he, he says later on in, in verse 18, they need to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasure in heaven. Uh, so, I, I don't know what your bank account looks like. You do. God does. Do you have money that you could help other people with? That's, that's what he's telling this man. 
That's what he's telling those who are listening. Wealth is not just for you. It's from God. It's for him, but it's, it's to help other people. It's to help those who are in need. It's not just for you to live it up. You know, I, I think I need to say this here too with, with talking about wealth and, and money. It, it's so tempting to envy and to be jealous of those who are rich. I think, well, they are the epitome of success. I want to be rich. <laughs> How many of you are tempted with that thought? I mean, I think we all are to some degree. But really, here Christ is saying in this passage, that's the worst way to be. To be rich. And it's not necessarily wrong to be wealthy if you use, if you use those resources to please God. But so just to be rich you know, for, you know, for the sake of being rich is, is harmful spiritually. You're more likely to miss heaven. You're more likely to be unsaved as this rich ruler was. If, if you look at your life and you say, boy, I just, I struggle to get by, and I don't have a lot. Praise the Lord, because you see your need for God, and you're more likely to come to faith in Christ. That's a, that's a blessing. That's not a burden. Um, James 2, verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom. Now, sometimes God does choose those who have wealth to be saved, and that's fine. The rich can trust Christ just the same as the poor person can. But the poor are, are more likely to because they're poor in spirit. And they, they see their need. Um, so, you know, just, just a good perspective. We, it's not a good thing to be envious of the those who are wealthy and rich, just, you know, hey, they've got it made. Yeah, but they also have a lot more trials and temptations and troubles than, than you'll ever face that comes along with that money. Uh, and spiritually, they suffer. The third thing here is we should surrender, we should be willing to surrender my will. My will. You may have missed it there, but, but, but at the end of 22... At the end of verse 22, he says, after he says, you know, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then this, come, follow me. So important. Here, this man trusted in his wealth. He could do anything he wanted. And he did what he wanted. To come to Christ, we surrender our will and our desires to God. And we, we live for Him. We do what, what pleases Him. Uh, now, that, that doesn't mean that when we surrender our will to God's, that He's going to just make life miserable, and we're going to just be uh, in sorrow all the time. No, there's many blessings when we come to Christ. And we're, we experience His grace in abundance. Uh, but... We follow him. His will is always best. I, I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It talks about this. Therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Uh, as we come to, come to Christ in faith, we, we walk by faith as well as we look to Jesus. We surrender our will to him. It's always best. Always best. And then the fourth thing today is here at the end of this passage. Are you willing to surrender your home or your family? You could, you could put either. Either is right. Uh, your home or your family. I couldn't think of a W word for that. Uh, but this is very difficult. I love the, the crowd's response here in 26. Then who can be saved? Christ just said the wealthy, it, it's more difficult, it, it's easier for a camel to go through a, the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And scholars think, well, you know, camels were probably about the biggest animals they were used to, and the, and the eye of a needle was about the smallest um, point they could think of, and so to try to have the camel go through the eye of the needle. Just the metaphor there is amazing. It's impossible. Uh, it's very, it's, it, you know, it's, it's impossible for anybody to save themselves. Uh, but here, in that culture, in this Jewish culture that Jesus was living in, they, they looked up to the rich people. I mean, they also looked up to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but they also looked up to the rich, thinking that, hey, if a person has wealth, they're blessed of God. There must be something right with them. God is blessing them abundantly. Surely they're saved. And so in that day, you look at the Pharisees as surely being saved. You look at the, the wealthy as being saved. And here Jesus says, the wealthy are generally not saved. <laughs> you can understand the question who can be saved then? And refuting you know, the, the belief that you can save yourself. In verse 27 he says, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. You cannot save yourself. It is impossible. It is impossible with man. But it is possible with God. Um, it's proof positive that that it's an impossibility. Um, but here, the, the very difficult, you know, here, here are the last three verses. Peter says, look, we've left our homes and followed you. you know, Christ told this rich ruler, hey, sell everything you have, leave home and come follow me. And Peter says, hey, we've done that. I mean, I don't know if they sold all their possessions, but but the disciples left their families and they followed Christ. And he said, what, what about us? We're saved, right? I mean, we left, we left all. Uh, and and they, they were willing to surrender, even their home, even their family. Um, that's very difficult. We, we love our families. We, we love those who are closest to um, Sometimes there's a crisis of faith at home when 
perhaps you know Christ as Savior and there's a division in the home because somebody in the, else in the house doesn't love God and they, they don't know Christ. Um, now this is especially true even today in the Muslim countries. When, when a Muslim comes to Christ, they're disowned by their family and sometimes just murdered or killed but they are a lot of times just kicked out and disowned and, and forgotten about. Terrible. Sometimes you get kicked out or you're forced out or you choose to leave home to follow Christ. Something that's, a, that's a difficult thing and it's sometimes necessary. Uh, we live in a day and age where we are told just to, if you disagree with somebody, just don't say anything. Just be silent. People can just live their truth. They can do whatever they want. And if, if you as a Christian speak up or you confront sin or expose false doctrine or whatever it may be and create a conflict and a division, uh, it may result in losing the relationship with, with somebody you love. And that's very difficult. But here Christ gives the blessed promise. If that takes place, in verse 30, will, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You're going to be blessed. You know, we, we can understand the last part of that. In, in et eternal life, in, in heaven. But he, he also says you're going to be blessed many times more in this time, in this life. Uh, there are so many ways that we are blessed by God. And one of the major blessings right now in the church age is we have a church family right here, right? And you may be closer to some people in this church than you are to your, your biological family. And that's not a bad thing. Um, that's one of the purposes of the church. Obviously, we, we desire for all people to come to Christ. Uh, but the, you know, we, we do have this, this promise that we encourage one another and we, we bless one another. Uh, who will not receive many times more in this time. And... Also, going along with that, I think, is God's grace that showered upon us in our times of trouble. But it says in, in Matthew 19, 29, the parallel passage, shall receive a hundredfold, shall receive, or manifold, um, but you know, abundant blessings. Not only here in this life, but also in the life to come. So... Are you willing to surrender even your family, even, even those you live with, who are your flesh and blood? If you're not willing to do that, if you say, well, I just can't break a relationship to stand for Christ, that could be the thing that keeps you from Christ. That could be what was, to this man, his wealth. Um, so, here as we think about the application. And we're looking at saving faith. We all need to come to Christ uh, through faith. 
He'll, he'll transform your life and bless you abundantly. We, we have such a need, but it's free, but it's costly. <laughs> it's free. Jesus paid it all, yet we, each of us has to be willing to give up all to follow him. That's the point of this passage. Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to surrender your works, trying to do enough? That's futile. You just cannot do it. You cannot earn eternal life. Jesus already paid it all on the cross. Are you willing to surrender your, your wealth or what, whatever that thing is in your life that keeps you from seeing your need? Are you willing to give it up? And come to Christ in faith. Are you poor in spirit? Do you, do you look at your bank account and say, I have plenty of money and I'm not poor in spirit? Who can you bless with that money? Who can you bless with your resources? Are you, are you willing to surrender your will and say, Lord, Whatever you want me to do, whatever, I will, I will do it. I don't feel like I'm very able or special, but you can, you can use anybody, and your will is best. I, I want to obey. Are you willing to surrender even a relationship, even somebody close? Knowing that pleasing Christ is far better and more blessed. So, you know, the good news, the good news is that we can be saved. You can be saved. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. And call on him to be your savior. So important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today that we can be born again. We can be saved through faith in Christ. We are so thankful that Jesus Christ paid the price. There's nothing more that has to be done. But Lord, we understand that we have to be willing to surrender. Seeing our great need. And come to Christ in faith. And Lord, I pray today, if there's any who need to trust the Lord as Savior, that they'd be willing to come, even as we have an invitation. And be willing to put their faith in Christ and be born again. Lord, I pray today even for Christians, for those who already know Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to perhaps make one of these decisions, being willing to be more generous with, with the money you've entrusted to them, uh, or to, to set aside some hindrance in their life, to get rid of some obstacle that hinders obedience. Help us to stand firm in our relationships. Stand firm and please you, even if it means losing a relationship. I thank you for, the, for your grace in those times of need. But Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.